the new Residential Tenancies Act comes into fruition in Victoria on the 29th of March, 2021. And over three weeks, we will be talking in depth about how the changes will affect tenants, landlords and property managers with our regular property management expert, Sophie Lyon. Do you know real estate right is part of our real copyright family? We are a leading real estate copywriting service specialising in writing sales copy, rental copy, corporate newsletters, staff profiles and websites for real estate agents, builders and construction companies. When we are visiting properties, we ask vendors, buyers, sellers, tenants and landlords to tune in to Real Estate Right to get the best advice from Melbourne's leading experts to get their real estate right. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Sophie Lyon has worked in property management for more than 30 years and is currently the Director and General Manager of Property Management at Jealous Craig Burundara. Sophie is actively involved as a Director of the REIV and is the accredited trainer currently focusing on delivering training for the new Residential Tenancies Act, which is what we are talking about today in our three-part series on the new Residential Tenancy Act. Welcome, Sophie. Yay. How are you? I'm extremely well, Sue. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. Now, That's good. Last week, we talked about the beginnings of a tenancy. Today, we're going to talk to our listeners about what happens during the tenancy. So how many chances will a tenant now have to be late with their rental payments? Oh, could you have started off with an easier question? This is actually... <laughs> no, only because it's, a, it's, it's really kind of a weird one because... In um, right at the moment, there really isn't any time frame um, around what, the number of strikes that a tenant can have. Um, effectively, under the new legislation, they can be late four times a year. Um, mm-hmm. And it's only on the fifth time that we can make an application to VCAT. So they can um, be late with their rent, then um, if, as long as they pay up, then we can't make an application, but if they don't pay up, then we can, if that makes sense. So the, so, but as soon as they pay I'm, up. I'm due on the first of the month yep. and I'm, and I send it in on the third of the month and you know, then I'm, my, my slate's clean. Mm-hmm. Is that yep. right? And then I do it again next month, but I'm maybe the fifth of the month instead of the first. So it's got to be more than 14 days though. This is the whole thing. So as oh, far as rent to rears so, goes. We, we work in a 14 days. Everything up until then is just a late rent payment. Um, okay. from, I'm just trying to make it so it, it's kind of a bit clearer, but it's that's a, a late rent payment. So rent arrears, for us to be able to make an application, you must be more than 14 days in arrears. So okay. you can do that. And you can do that five yep. times. And the fifth time is when we can actually make an application for possession to VCAT. But the interesting part is that that number of times resets Every 12 months. Okay. So basically you scot free as long as you have seven months that you actually do the right exactly. thing. You, or you get it in the 13 days in. Yeah. Hmm. So I yeah. get it from the perspective of um, of people who are in casual work and therefore have that, you know, their, their income can ebb and flow and they may not be able to make a full rent payment 
um, at that precise moment in time? Um, and should they yes. have to face VCAT every time over that? No, completely understand it. Um, but you also have um, have the other side of the coin where, unfortunately, there are some people who are a little bit, you know, a little bit more go with the flow types. <laughs> You know, perhaps making their rent payment on time is not a priority. Um, But for a client who's got to pay their mortgage, a rent payment on time kind of is a priority. So we've got to try and marry the two up. Fair enough. So now that we're in this tenancy, how often can a property manager or landlord do a rental increase with a new legislation? We can only do them once a year, but... We can write them into a lease agreement as long as they're agreed to. Um, but realistically, it's every 12 months. So currently it's every six months. So it's changed a bit. Okay. So that's that's good. Like you feel a bit more safer with the 12 months and six months. Now, how often can a property manager or landlord inspect the property under the new legislation? Uh, the same. So every six months um, and... We need to give the tenant, if we're doing a routine inspection, we need to give them seven days' notice um, to okay. actually be able to go through and do that. Um, so that hasn't really changed. No, it hasn't has really it? changed at all. The minimum time frame used to be used to be a minimum 24 hours' notice, maximum seven days, um, and now it's minimum okay. seven days. So we just have to make okay. sure we let a tenant know at least a week out, which we yeah. used to do anyway. Still, it just gives yeah. people more time. What, what's the point of bringing them up going, hi, popping around tomorrow because we want to catch you with your, you know, your bed not made and your right. lawn long and whatever it is. I mean, give people a chance to represent yes. the property in the best possible light for the owner. I think that's a nice thing. It is a nice thing. Yeah, because, you know, you may have had a, you know, big party booked for that particular day yes. and you don't want your property manager turning up, at, oh, unless you want to give them a few drinks <laughs> to sweeten up the... <laughs> Sweeten them up. <laughs> I think there's a few left over in the back fridge. Just go out there. Yeah. <laughs> go out there. Now, what are the minimal standards a property is required to have before it can be leased? Okay, so the the legislation around that, um, the, the regulations uh, from Consumer Affairs and from the government are only are just being finalised while you and I are recording this at the moment. So um, what I can do is I can yeah. give you kind of the, the big rocks of it. Um, so one mm-hmm. is a vermin-proof bin. Um, another is a toilet, an operational toilet. These things, are, they're, they're really, like, super sensible. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't yes. think that there would be a lot of properties. You'd hope there wouldn't be a lot of properties out there that wouldn't have these things. Bathroom facilities, so- kitchen facilities, laundry facilities. Um, structural soundness, mould and dampness not present um, or not under control if they are present, Um, window coverings, especially in any rooms that are being utilised as bedrooms. Um, They have to have Mm -hmm. proper light-blocking window coverings. Um, So with the laundries, laundry kitchen bathroom has to have hot water as well. Um, So that's probably one of the things that, um, I know I'm aware of a couple of older properties that don't have hot water in the laundries. So mm. there's the decision there around what does the owner do in that circumstance? Do they pull the laundry out and not offer it? Do they yeah. put in a teeny tiny little um, little hot water service if that's possible? Um, do they put in one of those instantaneous ones that hangs off the wall outside? There's a few yeah. 
you know, a few questions probably around that one more than anything else. I went to a property in Elwood oh, late last year, which um, the only hot water service was oh, over the bath um, and oh, there was actually no one hot of those water. those ones that you liked? Possibly. Like it was this gas thing. I actually took a photo of it. I'll send it to you. Um, it was this gas thing with you could see all the piping. So, yeah, the only hot water was the shower and then yeah, no hot water in the kitchen, no hot water in the laundry and a nice natural breeze coming through the big crack between the floor and the wall in the bathroom. <laughs> Okay, so I don't think that sounds like it's meeting minimum standards. No. Um, just quietly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's a few in there, but really they're just they're common sense things. Yeah. That um, you can't sort of rent someone out a little bungalow in the backyard and go. Well, there's no toilet, there's no kitchen, um, there's no bathroom, but go for it. Have a room. You know, I'm only going to charge you fifty bucks a week. It'll be fine. Yeah. You know, so yeah. No. Yeah. Fair enough. But and then, and if there's any other issues, like obviously, as you said, the, the legislation is just being finalised as we talk. So if there are going to be any extras, maybe talk to a property manager about those sort of things. Yeah, absolutely. Have a chat with the property manager or, you know, check on um, the uh, Consumer Affairs website too. Yeah. Um, that's always a good source of information. Um, but, yeah, the I don't think there's going to be anything massively different that will come through very shortly. Okay, cool. So how about window locks and uh, door locks? Is there a minimal standard now for that? There is. So um, there have to be, well, what they're saying is single key deadlocks on um, on external doors. Yes. Um, which is probably, again, not ideal because preferably you would want a double key deadlock because you don't really want to deadlock the door and not be able to get out if it were if it was a single deadlock yes um so that's probably not ideal in residential properties but that's the way the legislation reads Mm -hmm. um and on the windows when the legislation first came out its first draft it was talking about putting deadlocks on all external windows as well Mm. but there's a lot of window designs that you can't actually put a deadlock on them Mm. Um, so what it refers to is deadlocks on windows that are capable of having deadlocks. Okay. Um, otherwise just some form of lock on any other windows. Um, so a lot of old sliding aluminium windows, um, people would, in order to make sure that you couldn't get access and because you couldn't put a lock on them, people would put bits of dow. So you you couldn't, you couldn't open up the window. Um, which again, from a safety perspective, Probably no. not ideal. No, not ideal. No. Um, and for external windows, does that matter how high the building is? Like if you're on the fourth floor? Nothing about that in the legislation, no. So Spider-Man can make an effort and get in there. Oh, no, he can't because they're going to be locked. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. See, you're not going to get attacked or you know robbed by superheroes. You'll be all right. Yeah, you'll be fine. Don't fear, people. okay so we will have a short break and come back with more from sophie lyon from jealous craig and we will talk about the repairs of your home or your property with the news legislation you're listening to real estate right i'm sue langada and i'm on today with sophie lyon director and general manager of property management at jealous craig as well as director of the reiv We are talking about the new Residential Tenancies Act that comes in on the 29th of March this year. So, Sophie, what is now considered to be an urgent repair? 
Well, urgent repairs haven't changed a great deal um, from what they previously were or what they you know, were under the, um, the last Residential Tenancies Act. So it was anything that was... Um, was unsafe or was was causing an issue with your power, gas, water, things like that. So things that were impacting massively on your ability to live in the property, that was normally considered an urgent repair. Uh, block yeah. toilets, um, anything along those lines. Water services. Yep. So the new one, though, the new urgent repairs also includes air conditioners. Okay. And it includes dishwashers. Mm-hmm. Um, and my personal favourite is it includes smoke alarms. Okay. So, so they're they're the the new additions, um, as well as mould and dampness is now considered an urgent repair. See, I consider mould and dampness urgent. Air conditioner, a bit of material flapping around, cool you down. It's fine. Like I can well, understand some people have medical issues. Okay. Yes, I think I think air conditioners um, have. There's always been a belief that they're an urgent repair. Yeah. Um, because they do have a lovely tendency to decide to die on like a 45 degree day um, and, you know, the houses heat up, etc. Now, to me, it's not the end of the world, but I can certainly understand why some people think it's the end of the world. A dishwasher being an urgent repair, though, yeah. I probably struggle with that one a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, there's that shiny thing in the kitchen with the big, you know, bowl in it. Yeah. You put hot water and soap in there. And uh, does the same thing. Uncle. so um yes i think i've I've always heard though that that the dishwasher was urgent because they were about to have a dinner party it's just it seems like every time a dishwasher decides to not work yeah someone's having a dinner party the next night and so they desperately need it yeah and so again Okay. The shiny thing yeah. in the kitchen. Two hands. Guess what? You've got, you've got plenty of dishwashers. Everyone can help This out. is true. That's true. Get your guests in and get them to help out. Yeah. I haven't thought of that one. I'll try that one it's next time. bonding so experience. <laughs> <laughs> now, if a tenant pays for an urgent repair out of their own pocket due to the nature of the repair being urgent, how quickly must the landlord pay back the tenant? The landlord has got seven days to refund the tenant. Yeah. But And if they still fail to do that, the tenant has the opportunity to make an application to VCAT to be reimbursed. Okay. Um, so that that's always been there, but the time frame has always been a little bit longer as far as the owner being able to repay the tenant. Yeah. Um, but realistically... There shouldn't be a need to pay for an urgent repair out of your own pocket. Okay. If you're if you're renting through an agent, I suppose if you're renting privately, maybe it might be slightly different. But if you're renting through an agent, they will have after hours tradespeople to contact, yeah. um, and the after hours tradespeople will either um, triage the situation so they'll talk you through it and they'll explain. Um, okay, maybe if you turn this off, we can come out tomorrow morning rather than coming out at three a.m. Yeah. Um, but that said, if it were dangerous. I don't know of any tradespeople who would say, oh, we'll pop around in the morning, it'll be fine. I think if you yeah. explain the situation and it's actually dangerous, then the, the trades will go out and they'll help you. Yeah. They cost, but they'll help you. <laughs> well, they cost, but they don't cost you as the tenant. Um, yeah. So I think there are, there are definitely some trades that I've seen in the past that when a tenant has rung someone who isn't um, associated with the agency, mm. They have charged astronomical oh, 
yeah. fees to go out and it's just price gouging. It's oh, insane. I'll give you an example. I moved into this upstairs apartment. It was There was two slits of three or oh, one was three, one was four steps um, down this really, really long hallway. Um, mm. And then the bottom steps were, there were four and then literally enough room to open the, the, the door to go outside. Mm. Um, and that was 90 degrees to the stairs, the doorway. And yep. then you had the outside staircase. But then at on the wall, as you're walking down the hallway, you had a window at the end. So there was no handrail to say how many steps there were. And I had a friend oh. who went down the steps thinking there was two and went through the window, right? Oh. At two o'clock in the morning. And love, luckily, not really, the neighbour who moved into the downstairs apartment, I moved in that night and their car was directly underneath um, and got shattered with glass. Well, luckily there was a blind that stopped him from being cut because he went through the blind, then went through the, and the window. Was it? He didn't fall though. He didn't fall through, through the it. window. He just smashed it. Yeah. Oh my God. Anyway, um, because it was a second or first floor window and obviously needed to be repaired because it was an external window and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think it was like $900 to get it done. Right. I did it the next morning, not at 2 o'clock in the morning, but $900 on a Sunday morning to get it fixed. And Um, highway robbery, according to many people. Um, But it's like, well, I had to get it done. And then the landlord wouldn't pay me back because it's like, well, that was, you you guys just stuffed up. It's like, well, no, there was no handrail to determine how many stairs were it was dark. There was only like three lights in the whole hallway, which you couldn't see. Um, yep. Yeah. Yes, it was a drunken episode, but not the point. <laughs> no, but they should have been able to claim it on their insurance too. But they didn't want to. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, so I, then, the, then I had to try and convince my friend to pay half and I pay the other half. But anyway, it was it was done. That's a bit harsh. It was a bit harsh, but that would be urgent repair because it was an external window and, you know, you couldn't get out of the place without stepping on glass, essentially. Well, was it in your property though or was it a common area? Uh, common area as well. So the glass oh, fell into a common area. Right. Okay. Yeah, well, I probably would have been in contact. Was there an owner's crop or just one owner? One owner of block of five. I the whole block. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Oh, that changes things a bit, I suppose. But I don't know. I probably still would have gone to them and said, hey, sorry, someone slipped and you need to get it replaced. I mean, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't intentional. No. Um, and this is one of the things that's actually, I think we were talking about it um, in our last podcast around being one of the changes in respect of um, in the lease agreement, you can't put that clause in anymore saying that a tenant has to, um, to be responsible for um, anything that might alter the um, the insurance policy or the premium yeah. for the owner if they make a claim. Yeah, so the owner would have been stuck with it either way as far as mm. the um, the insurance claim goes. But yeah, for them to say that they just don't want to do it and you stuffed up, there was no light, there was no rail. Yeah. How, how far would you like to go? Yeah. You know? No, most people would say think it was two steps, but it was four. And so it was just like, oh, and tumble down and break the window and oops. Okay. Anyway, things happen. Yeah. 
Now, going back to that urgent repair thing, if the tenant can't afford the repairs and the landlord doesn't act on those repairs, what course of action can a tenant make to ensure that the repairs get done? Um, if they can afford to get the work done, then they can, under the Act, yeah. go ahead and get it done. They can't afford um, If they can't afford it, the next step is actually to make an application to VCAT. Um, You can make an urgent application, which they will normally hear within about 24 hours. Okay. Um, And because they're doing a lot of online hearings now, that's probably suspect that a certain portion of those are going to stay. And I think that those urgent ones may well be what they're going to utilise these online online hearings for Mm. because it means that people don't have to come into King Street or any of the other um, uh, tribunal locations. They can actually still be at home and it can just get done like super quick and they can get an order. Um, So, yeah, they can certainly still make an application to BCAT, get an urgent hearing, um, get an order, pass the order on to the owner or to the the agent um, and then takes the argument out of it straight away. Yeah. Um, if the owner still doesn't do the work, the tenant can do it, but then they can request for the rent to be paid into what's called the rent special account. Okay. So the owner doesn't get the rent until such time as um, either the tenant's paid back or they accrue enough and then the tenant is paid back. Yeah, fair enough. Going back to my thing, if a tenant damages, yeah. the property, damages the property in any way, does the tenant need to inform the property manager or landlord, even if they fix the damage out of their own pocket? Um, I would say yes. I would say it's preferable um, for the the owner or the agent to be made aware of it, mainly because if someone fixes something and they don't fix it professionally or, you know, that perhaps there's a risk that something might go wrong later on. Yeah. Um, and so if the owner or the agent's got the opportunity to check those things or get someone to check it from a professional standpoint and make sure that it is safe. Mm. So I don't think anybody wants it on their conscience that, you know, they they break a railing for argument's sake on a on a staircase, something along yeah. sort of kind of close to what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, they break the railing, they fix the railing and then they move out. Two months later someone's walking down the stairs, grabs hold of the railing the railing comes away from the wall and that person gets, you know, badly injured because of it. Mm. I don't think anybody wants that on their conscience. No. So it's not just because the owner or the agent want to get their tradesperson to do it. We need to make sure that things have been done properly so everybody's safe. Yeah, fair enough. What safety checks, sorry, what safety check records do property managers and landlords need to keep now? Is there a new legislation for safety checks? Yep. Um, so the safety checks are a little bit more extensive than what they were previously. Yeah. Um, so it's now in the legislation around um, doing carbon monoxide testing every two years, okay. uh, whereas before it was just a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, getting the smoke alarm serviced every 12 months um, and also getting the electrical items tested and tagged every two years as well. So um, all of those things sit in the legislation now. Um, And that information is supposed to be provided to the tenant at the commencement of a tenancy. Mm -hmm. It's not the tenant can request it um, to see when the last time was that those um, those checks were carried out. That's mandatory now that you should receive that information when you Mm -hmm. get your lease. Yep, at the very least, the dates of it. Um, Some of the of the documentation that we get around those, it's there's a lot in there Um, and, you know, there's just a whole lot of lines of just, um, I guess, safety information and, Mm. um, you know, mega whatever it is, 
counts and so on. So um, the fine detail, I wouldn't think most uh, tenants would be interested in or need. All they need is, you know, when was it last done? Um, And is it 12 months, two years, two years? Two years, yeah, beautiful. Obviously, there's a few new things happening during your tenancy. So definitely is a bit different to when I was renting. Um, So how will existing tenants now be informed of the new Residential Tenancy Act? The, well, probably a couple of ways that they're going to get that information. Um, because the, the the tenants' details are all sitting within the Residential Tenancies Bond Authority, yeah. um, I would I would think that there will be some degree of communication out from Consumer Affairs utilising those email addresses, that mm-hmm. data. Yeah. Um, but individual agencies will definitely be pushing that information out to their tenants because we want them to be aware of, um, of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, private landlords, you would certainly hope, would also pass that information on to tenants, but they can certainly still access anything like that from the Consumer Affairs website. Yeah. Um, and I believe there is going to be quite a big community publicity campaign as well yes. um, done by Consumer Affairs and by the government, just advising people, hey, you know, things are changing and you need to be aware of what the changes are. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be doing that in different languages in different locations as well. So it's yeah. not just English-speaking people who are going to be able to see it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, those top um, languages, um, you know, like mainland Chinese as a, as a significant example, mm-hmm. um, would be one of the languages that they're going to be pushing all of those changes out in. Yeah, beautiful. So thanks so much again, Sophie, for being on Real Estate Right. Um, how can we contact you? if we'd like to get you to do our property management? Oh, you can get you can give me a call anytime on my phone if you want me to manage your property. That's not a problem. Okay. Um, so my my direct line into the office, which is probably the easiest one because it diverts to my mobile if I'm out, yes. um, is uh, so Victoria 03-9810-5053. Beautiful. Go to the Jealous Craig website, jealouscraig.com.au for more information. So next week, Sophie's back and we are talking about the changes to the Residential Tenancy Act that affect your vacating your lease and getting your bond back. So it will be very interesting to see how it all comes together on March 29, 2021. So don't miss it. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production hosted, written and produced by me, Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music, Zoom for our video link, and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a real estate copywriting service writing property all over Melbourne since 1998. If you would like Sue and her team of copywriters to write your property, go through the email address orders at realcopyright.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Real Estate Right on your favourite podcast platform. And if you would like to ask one of our experts a question on this podcast, email your questions to sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right. Right.